Okay, let's go to your last patient, your 89-year-old man. So in the early 2000s, he was sent to me with a breast mass and a protein spike, an MGUS, and we worked that up, and he did not have myeloma, and he was taken to the operating room, and he had a mastectomy. He had 10 positive lymph nodes at the time. It was estrogen receptor positive, HER2 negative, and I put him on tamoxifen. Just as he was coming up to five years, he had a stroke, a fairly significant stroke from which he really has made a wonderful recovery, but certainly at that time we stopped his tamoxifen. In March of this year, in his six-month follow-up, he had a palpable supraclavicular lymph node. It was not amenable to percutaneous biopsy because of its location, and the surgeon removed it, and it was recurrent breast cancer with the same profile, ER positive, HER2 negative. He had a PET scan, sort of a limited staging workup, and he had some mediastinal adenopathy, certainly not overwhelmingly impressive, and no other visceral disease, and he was asymptomatic. So I opted to put him on an aromatase inhibitor. And how long has he been on it? Which one, and how's he doing? He is on letrozole, and he's only been on it for about two months. So, Hal, just one footnote. What about the choice of hormonal therapy in the older man? I mean, we don't know whether this stroke was related to the tamoxifen. It's possible... Is there an age that you would use something else, like an AI? Would you use an AI? There really aren't data for use of AIs in men, especially in the adjuvant setting. And there are mixed reports on whether the hormonal physiology is such that they really should be effective. Tamoxifen is the standard recommendation. And he was an older man when he was diagnosed at 83, but with 10 positive nodes, I think an adjuvant endocrine approach was quite reasonable. And whether the stroke was just related to other issues or to the tamoxifen is impossible to know. You said you spent a lot of time with him. What were you talking about? Well, another terrific gentleman. We talked about the rarity of male breast cancer and how the lessons we have for management come from women. We talked about the limited data for use of the AIs. There has been a finite number of case reports on treatment of metastatic male breast cancer with AIs, and there have been reports of response, but it's not really clear that they are potent drugs in this setting. So other options we discussed would be progestational agents, though there's concern there over thrombus again perhaps fulvestrant. And one of the questions we raised was whether this man needs to be on any therapy at the time. He is, at the moment, not NED, but totally asymptomatic. He is ambulatory, but uses a cane. And truthfully, his biggest worries are not about himself. He has a daughter who accompanied him to clinic who was treated within the past year or two for leiomyosarcoma. And actually, he's a widower, and he has a companion who is currently receiving chemotherapy for ovarian cancer. And it sounded like that was more advanced stage. And frankly, he's mostly worried about the women and caring for them and helping, in particular, his partner. And he's really not thinking about his own disease right now. Could you envision, particularly if he develops symptomatic mets, using chemo? We approached him with it, and I think his last comment was he would probably think about doing that. This man has capecitabine written I was just going right. to say, what do you think about capecitabine? <laughs> right. That's an ideal drug for this fellow, I would think, assuming he were to need it. And you know, most such patients would tolerate it quite well. And I think it would minimally interfere with his day-to-day activities. Anything else about this case that you want to comment on? We talked a lot about genetic testing in his situation, also because of him being a male. And we have talked about it over the years, and he had been very clear that he did not want to proceed. And we talked about the implications, not so much for him, but for his family. 
And he understood that, and he made a conscious decision. How do you decide about genetic testing, Hal, in a man? Well, male breast cancer is one of the indications from the U.S. Preventive Health Services Task Force and other groups that have looked at genetic test recommendations. It is a recommendation, though the chances of your harboring a mutation are still quite low. There's a greater risk in particular of BRCA2-associated breast cancers in men. Beyond that, there's no risk of ovarian cancer in men, obviously, and the risk of other cancers, other hereditary cancers in men with BRCA1 and 2 mutations is actually surprisingly low. There's a rare risk of prostate and of pancreatic, but you don't do all that much differently for those things. So on the one hand, it's a common indication for testing. On the other hand, it's rarely seen as a mutation, and it's not clear what you do with the information. I think it's probably got more implications for family Right. And they're in a situation where if the parent doesn't want to be tested, the children can seek out testing on their own. Right. So any final comments about the day, gentlemen? I enjoyed the day. Obviously, there are interesting management questions in breast cancer, but I thought it was really fascinating to see how another practice is set up and organized. And, you know, it's a wonderful community practice they've built where they're giving patients access to clinical trials. They have subspecialists to the sense that, you know, Rich is kind of their man of breast cancer, and they have other people who handle other major malignancies. They clearly have gotten the multidisciplinary message with nurses and support care nurses and nurse managers and navigators. And, you know, it's exciting to see all that so successfully managed in a community hospital and uh, credit to the practice for putting that together. Rich has a wonderful practice. And I think uh, (laughs) when we dream of going into oncology, you sort of imagine a practice like Rich's where it's very intimate, four or five docs, people are all on mission, and yet there's a charm and a small scale to it that's really quite delightful. And so I was very much taken with that. And we saw some great cases, great patients who Interesting problems and obviously tremendous affection for Rich and his team. Your thoughts, Rich? I learned a lot. I was very comfortable. I think the patients were comfortable. Oh, yeah. And I think they got a great amount out of it. They really enjoyed talking to Hal and they learned a lot, as did I. So it was a good experience for everybody.